Hey, seasoned athletes. I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 19 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm personally extra excited about this week's episode because it centers around the sport that launched my own late-in-life athletic journey, and I get to feature a couple of my favorite seasoned athletes within the sport. Those who know me or those who've read my bio on the Seasoned Athlete website likely know by now that roller derby was the first sport I ever played competitively. I was a skater with the LA Derby Dolls Women's Roller Derby League from 2003 to 2014, and it completely changed my life. So you can imagine, I've been wanting to do a roller derby episode of the Seasoned Athlete podcast since, well, before I even started it. Today's main interview is with Haley Daly, a.k.a. The Forecloser, originally from Sacred City Derby Girls and most recently with Bay Area Derby. But first, let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. This week's Everyday Season Athlete gives new life to the phrase 50 and fabulous because she can most fabulously kick your butt all over the roller derby track. She's a member of the LA Derby Dolls Fight Crew team and I had the pleasure of competing with and against her for years. Meet Natalie Chidez. Hi, my name is Natalie Chidez, aka Armed Candy. I'm 50 years old and I'm a roller derby athlete. Why I compete in roller derby is because I love the speed and physical challenge of derby. I love the teamwork and the camaraderie, and I especially love how empowering the sport is for women and girls. One of my main goals in derby was to play in a team when I was 50. I uh, met that goal this year, and I'm pretty proud of it. Uh, my future goals, uh, I've started doing some additional training in figure skating and speed skating to kind of improve my derby. And I have a few specific jumps and uh, footwork things that I'm working on in figure skating um, that are my specific goals for the next couple of months, which are super fun. My challenges in the sport of roller derby honestly have more to do with my size more than my age. I'm a, uh, you know, pretty small at 5'1 and 110 pounds. Uh, and, you know, there's parts of the sport that require uh, power blocking and such. And, uh, you know, so my size honestly is more of a challenge than my age. I think, um, another thing that's challenging for me is finding the time to do the conditioning and self care that I need to do off the track to continue to compete and stay competitive with skaters, uh, 20 years younger. I do, uh, you know, a lot of conditioning. I do weights. I do plyometric. I work with a trainer once a week. I do yoga regularly. I try to get a massage once a week. I think all of those things improve my performance but keep me from um, getting injured. So finding, carving the time to do the stuff, the conditioning outside of the sport that I need to play the sport can be challenging. My advice for anyone who would like to see themselves as a seasoned athlete one day is to follow your heart. And 
I played soccer before I played roller derby and it was a great passion of mine. I didn't start until I was in my early 30s. I had never played before. I bought a pair of soccer shorts at a thrift shop and just started wearing them around and uh, randomly got invited to someone who was forming a beginner's league for women. Uh, I jumped in. I immediately fell in love with the sport and uh, played for 10 years before then transitioning into roller derby in my early 40s, which became an equally big uh, passion of mine. So my advice is if you have an, an idea, something that's calling your name, something that's drawing you, give it a shot, go for it, and you could fall in love with it, with your sport, the way that I have with mine. If you'd like to tell your everyday seasoned athlete story in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me slash everyday and tell us a little bit about yourself. And now it's time to meet this week's featured seasoned athlete, a woman who I've been able to get to know over the years as both an incredibly fierce and an awesomely fun competitor. Let's meet roller derby athlete Haley Daly. Hi, Haley. Hello, Susie. Oh, yes. You know me as another name. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Yes, I am. Awesome. You are Haley Daly, a.k.a. number 44, the foreclosure, and you're a Roseville, California-based roller derby athlete. You have, knock on wood, played injury-free roller derby since 2009, primarily as a dedicated starting jammer on the Sacred City Derby Girls Sacrificer All-Star Team out of Sacramento. From 2011 to 2016, you were also Sacred's strategy and jammer coach. You set a team record by playing 56 consecutive Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association, or WFTDA, bouts from 2009 to 2015. This year, you joined the 10th-ranked Bay Area Derby All-Stars and competed with them in the WFTDA International Playoffs in Seattle last month. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a moment to fill in? I think you covered it. Cool. I feel good about that. Yeah. Great job. Thanks. So from here, I'm going to ask you the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? Right now, I am 42, and I will be 43 in January, the end of January. So let's start from the beginning. When did you start playing sports, and what did your early athletic life look like? Sure. Uh, when I was younger in grade school, I loved uh, basketball. That was probably uh, my first team sport that I played. And then that transitioned into volleyball. I started roller skating when I was about eight years old as an artistic skater. And that probably became my second team. So team focused sport, even though I skated individual metal classes, which was figures and freestyle and dance, um, I was part of an artistic team, a club here in Roseville. And explain a bit about artistic skating. What is that like? Uh, so the, the, the easiest way to reference is I wore the white skates that went up above the ankle. Uh, we wore uh, skating artistic dresses. Uh, so sometimes when you go to the roller skating rink, you will see the figure eights on the on the uh, track, or I call it track now, but on the roller skating <laughs> floor, uh, you will see the figure eights, the big uh, black lines. And so we would uh, compete in edging basically around these uh, markers on the, on the floor. Uh, that was figures. And then the freestyle competition uh, worked, we worked on jumps and spins 
and uh, routines. So you would have a short routine or a long routine to music and you would have different uh, moves that you would have to fill in as far as, you know, in a two minute time span. And then you were judged on that and, and awarded medals. Uh, for me in that sport, looking back now, um, I was very much a nervous individual uh, competitor. I did much better when we would do our team uh, dance routines. Uh, we attended what many people who know about skating, it's called gold skate. You would travel and you would do dance routines with your entire club. So you could have 20 to 30 people out on the, the rink floor at one time and performances and shows. So I would say I competed in artistic figures and freestyle but I eventually realized that my love was in the in the performing and, and being on the floor with my team at, at one time. And that's an interesting thing that you're mm -hmm. you gravitated towards the team aspect of that, because that likely plays into roller derby, which you eventually found at a later age. I did. An interesting point that you made that it's just sort of a real side note is I like that you described artistic skating by what you wore. Like, <laughs> I have pictures. I have yes. documented pictures. And I've met yeah. a lot of artistic skaters that went into roller derby and they all have the photos. But it's like, mm -hmm. we all know this. And we, we all know figure skating from ice skating from the Olympics. And I think True. a lot of people don't realize that many people, many, especially kids growing up, did this on roller skates. And it's a, it's a vibrant, active sport to this day. People are still doing artistic skating on roller skates. But I, I just still love that you you helped people become familiar with it by the outfits you wore and the skates that you wore. There's your visual. We yep. had, uh, yeah, we had sequins and rhinestones and boot covers and neon was, was huge. And, uh, my hair pulled back in a bun to the point where I would have a headache. That's, <laughs> that's the gist of my childhood. Yeah. The things you had to go through for your sport. Exactly. Yep. But I also like that you were drawn to the team aspect of the sport and that's what kind of excited you. And so that's a good segue to roller derby because roller derby is very much a team sport. So how did you find your way to roller derby? So we have a local rink here in Roseville. Uh, it's called Roller King. And that's basically, I grew up there. I was a rink rat. I hung out there at my free time, would ride my bike from my house and go to session skate, meet friends there. And, uh, I have two boys, uh, they're 11 and 15 now. And at the time my son, gosh, I think he was about five and, uh, new baby, my five-year-old went to a birthday party and, um, I picked up this flyer and it was a very cool, uh, small little card. And it just said sacred city derby girls and come try out. So I happened to be part of a book club and I still am actually, uh, the person that went with me to those tryouts, uh, we still are actively in book club together and friends. And we had been talking about a bucket list, you know, and at this point I'm around probably 33 years old and, you know, the, the bucket list of what do I want to do by the time I'm 40 is, is kind of how it, it started in book club. And one of hers was play roller derby. And I had actually never seen roller derby other than on the black and white commercials or, you know, the, the recaps that would come on, uh, television. I, I was not somebody that had ever watched it live on, on TV, uh, when, you know, we had bank track that was recorded live. So I was not very familiar with the idea of it at all. All I knew at that point was, uh, my friend wanted to do it. 
Uh, I, she is a ton of fun and I love to roller skate. And my kids were at an age where they still needed me, but I could actually have a babysitter or, you know, have my family watch them so I could get some extracurricular activities outside of being at home. Practices were at night, so it worked out well that I could attend practice with my friend and have kind of a social unit and, and um, you know, being a, a mom of young children, it, I was not a um, take my kids to the park mom and hang out with moms there. I, I definitely was, I don't know, I guess I'm more, I was busy. I worked at home and I really needed an outlet. So she said, hey, just do this with me. Uh, at least go try out with me. So uh, we went to the tryouts. We showed up in jeans. I borrowed rental skates because at that time, you know, I didn't, last time I had skated, I was probably 12 years old. We did our, uh, at that time, it was how many laps, you know, could you skate in five minutes? And the feeling of that competitive nature, I had, I had not felt that way in so long. Uh, I'm a very competitive person. And to have skates back on and, and I mean, we're talking, this is one of my very good friends and it was like, I was going to beat everybody that was on that track. It was the most amazing five minutes. I really thought I was going to die when I was done, but I think I set some sort of ridiculous number of laps record, uh, that particular tryout. Uh, apparently there were other jammers that were there at the tryouts that were not happy that I showed up. And I literally knew nothing about Derby. I just showed up. We skated as fast as we could and they were going to let us know if we made the team or not. And, uh, so they called us both back and this was just supposed to be for fun. Honestly, it was, uh, two nights a week. That's how it always starts. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. And, uh, and it was, it, it was a lot of fun and I met a lot of great people. And at that time we were practicing at Roller King and my friend, uh, her name ended up being Boom Boom Booty. Uh, she and I skated together for, I think four seasons until she retired and, um, it was, it was just, it was a great time and it was a great time to start roller derby as well. I like that. There's so many things I like. <laughs> I want to touch on a couple of things. First of all, I have a feeling a number of moms listen to the show and a big issue that moms come up with is just finding time for themselves and mm -hmm. finding ways to do, do the things they want to do and especially staying active fitness, things like that. And I like that this is a thing that you stumbled upon that could be yours. Mm -hmm. And you had a young son at the time, but you had this one thing that you could figure you could get to at night and it could be yours. I like that your competitive nature just automatically showed up. Oh, the, the, the switch flipped. It was, I had not felt that way since probably high school, as far as playing competitive volleyball in high school and a team. And again, I go back to that team I tried track. I tried individual sports through, you know, junior high and high school. And it just, it was not a good fit. And the team spirit of camaraderie and working towards that common goal, it really was a driving force. And so I can remember what it felt like the, the, I can still feel it that when I got on the track and, and the wind and the breeze just hit my face. Like I have tears in my eyes right now because it really was life-changing. And a lot of people say that about roller derby. I have said that about roller derby, mm -hmm. that it's life-changing when you get involved in it. So I totally connect with that. Um, 
And and I love that you just showed up there and everybody there's like, <laughs> who the heck is she? Where did where did this girl come from? And you just like smoked everybody. So I I love that part of the story too. So let's talk about roller derby for a little bit because I'm guessing a number of people listening have not seen roller derby, may not be familiar with roller derby. So would you be able to explain as concisely as possible, and I know that's sometimes not very easy, how is roller derby played? So the particular uh, derby that I majority played was flat track. So uh, many people, when they reference derby, they will say, oh, you mean on the bank track? And yes, that does exist. And that's what I played. And that's what you played. Yes. Uh, but my my derby uh, that I play or played uh, at that early time was uh, flat track. So uh, with the ease of having access to a flat surface, uh, we used a roller rink. So it was a wood floor. They taped down a track. So there is a regulated track uh, that goes down uh, that you have to stay within boundaries and you have a starting point. Um, the rules have dramatically changed since the time that I began in 09 until now. Uh, but at, at the point of start, uh, you have an amazing group of officials that that manage this five on five team. And so you on the track, you have uh, five skaters from each team. Uh, you represent a pivot and a jammer from each team. So when you visually see a team line up, you will notice that the the two furthest back from the pack, which is ends up being four on four, um, are the jammers. So they wear a star helmet cover. And then within the pack, there will be an additional two. So one from each team that wear a pivot uh, helmet cover, which is a line down the middle. And really the pivots in 09 are different than what the pivots do now um, as far as managing the speed of the pack. But uh, the whistle blows, the jammers are at the same time trying to bust through uh, this pack. And I compare it to football, a little bit of basketball, uh, all at one time, offense and defense. So it'd be like your quarterback trying to get through a defensive line while their defense is trying to also play offense. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically the, your team is trying to help your own jammer through whilst trying to stop the other jammer. So, wow. You said that so much better. So <laughs> yes, I've done this. I've explained it so many times. I can see it in my mind. I'm just having a hard time getting it out. Yeah. And for those who don't know, I played roller derby for 11 years. So I started a million years ago and I've had to do this explanation a million times, but I, and and have have refined my version of the explanation. Thank you, thank you for that. Uh, so, did you ask? Yeah, you asked me to to um, go the the roundabout way, and um, yes. I appreciate that you were able to just knock it out of the park in like two sentences. I will summarize for you. But then, <laughs> thank yeah, you. So you're helping your own jammer. You're stopping the other jammer. That's happening simultaneously, and it's really exciting. Yeah. And then you have primarily been a jammer. I have. So when um, when I started the sport in 09, the jammer typically body size wise was uh, traditionally smaller, uh, shorter, smaller. And I would have to say probably out of the fact that if you came into the sport, even at that time, and you were a uh, bigger person, you were more advantageous on the track as a blocker because you, you take up space, uh, legs are longer, um, you know, you could move and navigate with your pack and take up track. So 
when I came into the sport immediately because of uh, my body size being, you know, from an early age, I've been five, seven and never really grew much after sixth grade, but at sixth, seventh grade, that was fairly tall. Um, and always weighing between 160 and 180. So that's not a small, tiny jammer scenario. So when I came into the sport, I was immediately pegged as being a blocker. I, that's where they put me. I was never considered to be a jammer because I was a larger skater. So literally sitting on the bench, a jammer was injured. I was the only person left to put out on the track. I did not know the rules. I think I was about a month out of graduating basic skills and they called me Braveheart. I just went forward and just kept going around the track and blocking as I was jamming. And so I think a light bulb went off. This wasn't typical of a jammer. And so for my coach at the time, Dirty D, uh, he was shocked that I actually could, because he wasn't there at the tryouts and so didn't know that I could skate fast. And I was, you know, new and I didn't want to, I was learning. I was so excited to be learning something new. I knew how to skate, but I had no clue about roller derby and the skills and the mental game. And so I was learning and absorbing and I just loved being there and being on a team. And of course there were veteran skaters and I didn't want to overstep any bounds with the fact that I had skating skills, but I didn't really have derby skills at all. And uh, so I was really into the learning and, and just taking the time and enjoying the experience. And so that was kind of shocking. And I, and it was exciting for me at that point because they had never considered me as a jammer. And when I jammed in that way, it was so different than other jammers. I was excited to be part of this change in, I think what a jammer at that time was, was used for. So, uh, from that point forward, I just really honed in on jamming skills and have not blocked much. And that's actually a goal that I have, you know, moving forward is uh, transitioning into that role. Building, building that skill back up again. Exactly. Yeah. It's so funny because, you know, I, I remember seeing that that evolution in in what a jammer is in my league. And mm-hmm. I think I feel like every league had that moment as derby evolves. Roller derby as it currently stands is a fairly new sport. It's sure it's been around mm-hmm. since the 30s, but this modern incarnation of roller derby really started in the early 2000s and as as such it's been evolving rapidly over uh, you know just over a decade um actually almost two decades now um, right so so old uh that just blew my mind just then but right? but you know the game has you know as the skills have elevated the game has gotten much more physical on the blocking side and so mm-hmm. you know i was one of the teeny tiny jammers when i started back in 2003 i'm 5 foot 1 and And so I was the traditional jammer body type back in the day. But now if I, you know, going up against the blocker packs that you see now, like I'd just be murdered dead. So the jammer style of being very physical as a jammer and jamming like a blocker, Mm -hmm. um, that has become a lot more common. And I remember the first skater or two in my league that discovered that, that it's like, oh, this person's always been a blocker, but 
wow, wow this person's a right, jammer right. you know yeah, yeah. And like this person's just bulldozes through this pack <laughs> and this she should be jamming all the time yeah like, I remember when that happened so you you're you sort of paved the way in a way for that revelation probably in a lot of different teams yeah it, it was exciting it was an exciting time and and also you know in in that atmosphere of an environment where I personally was a uh, you know, competitor or competitive nature, but then the reality that many people that joined Derby may never have played sports. Um, I don't think you did. I think I did not. Uh, you, no. you came into, to this sport. This was your first sport. So, um, there just is, there's just so much greatness about the Derby community and what it has to offer to everybody, really, whether you're a first time sport player um, or played active sports through your youth and are just looking for something as an adult. And, and I think really going back to the why, um, I couldn't find anything that gave me, I didn't actually at first, I think, know that that's what I was missing first off. And then once I found it, it was, it was that reality of, oh, this is what I'm missing. I'm missing being on a team. And I think that's what's carried me through all this time is Knowing that about myself, that I really uh, thrive on on being part of a community and a team. And so maybe if you've never played sports, you don't know that that's something that you're missing, you know, in, in kind of a shout out to people who, whether it's derby or, you know, Spartan racing or, you know, anything that's that's paving the way for even an older athlete. I, it's it's just such a great experience. So yeah. um, if if you've never thought about kind of stepping off the edge and trying something different. I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I would, would be if I didn't have Derby. I, it's just such a huge part of, of who I am now. And it's the, the, what you mentioned about community. I hear that over and over and over again in the athletes that I interview for all the different sports is that what they love beyond the, the competitive nature of the sport is the, the community and everybody's so positive. I see I, that's, a big part of what drew me to roller derby and kept me in roller derby, you know, for me, I'd moved to a new city and I didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. And so that helped me feel more comfortable in the city I lived in and then helped me discover my athletic side that I did not know <laughs> exists Because like you said, I had never played sports in my whole life. And this was me at, you know, 28, 29 years old, just finding this. But in, in the triathletes that I interview, I have heard the story and the obstacle racers I've interviewed, I've heard the story. And in roller derby, I very much know this story it's when we talk about it being life-changing it's very true like for me it it helped me find a community I have friends that are, are my friends for life that were in my wedding I found my husband through roller derby like um very much life-changing on all fronts so I'm glad you mentioned that so what keeps you going now like is that what keeps you going now all these years later? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, you know, for me, uh, it is changing more so now in the last year or two. My, my boys are older. They're 11, like I said, 11 and, and 15 now. And when I started, I was around 34. Um, so in, at that time of my life, in my mind, you know, I'm not getting much sleep. I had a young child teaching to potty train, you know, working and and so the schedule of being away at night was was a good fit for practice. And then now with time as they're they're growing and, you know, they are, they have sports now, you know, they they have after school activities and weekend games and 
And definitely the focus is shifting to accommodate their schedule. Um, over this last uh, year, I've noticed that, um, you know, I've had to shift my responsibilities and my focus around what, what's needed for them. And, and so I would say up until this point, it was easier in my in my work life and family life to fit Derby in. Um, I'm having to kind of reevaluate uh, my focus in this last year. Um, but when I look back, I'm like, man, geez, Brock was two and a half years old and Jay was six. And now I have these young preteens. They don't know any different. And I, so, so I think to answer the question, what kept me in also so long is sanity, uh, which uh, having a community to break out with and just leave the house and, and just go exercise and be part of a group and clear my mind and, and just come back home feeling accomplished, um, you know, setting those little goals before practice. Um, but also for my boys to see me be dedicated. So the same lessons that I try to instill in them as they join teams, you know, you don't start a season if you're not going to finish it, for example, or, um, you know, if you made a commitment to attend practice, you have to go. So obviously, like everybody else, there would be nights I'd come home from work and I just was so tired. I, I there just I wasn't going to be able to make practice. And because I had been accountable uh, in my family, we have a calendar on the fridge and it has everybody's activities blocked out. And for me to have maintained my time in this sport at a competitive level it takes a lot of pre-planning. Nothing is done at the last minute. Um, and also having boundaries and focus on, you know, practice schedules, knowing I, ha- I would have to travel or be away. Uh, I definitely sacrificed uh, other activities or other events uh, to make sure that I could maintain my commitment. But in the big picture, it's the same lessons or expectation that I'm trying to instill in my boys that, I think is why I've I've hung on as long as I have, you know, I've had peaks and, and valleys of love for the sport um, from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint. Um, But again, once that commitment was made for the season, it it really didn't matter. I I was in it for the long haul. And then, you know, you get through that rough patch of, of just not having the passion maybe for a few weeks or, you know, work is tough and, and it just made it that much easier. So a lot of it has to do with with my my boys and that commitment of of trying to show them what that's like to be part of a team or a bigger picture than just myself. And what a great lesson that is. And it's by doing it yourself, that's the best way you can show them. You know, you could tell them all day long that it's important to keep your commitments and start what you finish. But by showing it to them and living that life, there's no better way to instill that in them. Yeah. And there, you know, there would be the classic come home from work and, uh, you know, you have practice tonight, mom. Yeah, I'm not going to go. Mom, you have to go. You're not going to make eligibility. You know, they they keep you honest. Oh, yeah. In the household, they they would know, uh, well, all that work and then you're not going to be eligible, mom, for the game. You know, how could you miss that game? You're going to let your team down, you know, so it was totally that reverse interaction and and it was good it, you know I was accountable to just more than myself so it was it's it's a good it's a good thing so you learned a little bit from them as well I absolutely every day so as I mentioned in your intro your roller derby name is the foreclosure and uh, for those who are not as familiar with the sport as we are many roller derby athletes go by nicknames 
uh, that we call our derby names. So you called me Susie at the beginning of the interview and people listening may be like, that's not her name, but that is my name. It's one of my names. My derby name is Susie Snake Eyes, number 30 to one, just like the payout for Snake Eyes on the craps table in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> Love um, it. Yeah. So how did you come up with your name and number? When I started, uh, we had to have a name, right? Well, I yeah, back in the day, it was, not yeah, you had to have a name. Well, I honestly just wanted to be Haley Daly. Two four seven. That's, That's a good my name. name. That's a great right. derby name. Your right. real name. Yeah. My real name. So because I was more worried, I would not answer to whatever this name that I, that they were going to give me. You know, and um, so at the time, the position I played was number four. Uh, you, I was spot four. You know, on the track, you'd have your one, two, three, four. Your blockers, uh, the ones were the pivot. I was the four. That was my my position. So they just started calling me four. That was my derby name. So I really wish I would have had like a Susie or a Betty or a, a, you real, know, name a, name. a real name. That it has come I in was, handy so many times. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm walking, you know, down the street. I happen to run into somebody from Derby and they're yelling closer, closer or four, four. And I immediately answer now uh, at random. But people looking around would never think, well, that is a strange name. Why is that person calling that? person walking by closer. That makes no sense. So, um, it just kind of spun off of the number four and somebody on the team was already four. So then it was the double digits. Okay. I'm going to be 44. So I just happened to be talking to my brother-in-law my sister. And he's like, why don't, you know, the, the anti of what you do, you get people into homes and your, you know, your everyday life. Why don't you be the foreclosure? Like you're going to take them away. And that, that's kind of how it, it morphed. What do you do in your everyday life? I am a mortgage broker. So I am a loan advisor, loan officer here at American Pacific Mortgage in um, Roseville. And we're actually all over the United States. But uh, from that time, I, I am a loan officer, but I also am a, um, uh, a corporate trainer, mentor, um, educator. So I bring in new loan officers and, and we teach them how to do loans and how to get into the industry. So career changes. And so I love it. I I've done this since 1998 and my dad was in real estate before that. So I, my mom was a teacher. My dad was in real estate. So I like to say that I took a little bit from both of them and that's my career. And so with your derby name, what you giveth, you then taketh away. That's exactly that. You know, it's the anti, I <laughs> am traditionally a, um, slow to warm extrovert. I'm, I'm, fairly shy when, you know, I first meet people, um, especially just, you know, an acquaintance if they're not really a friend. Um, but in Derby, because of that competitive fire and that sense of, um, like I could seriously kick your ass right now, just being able to feel that way is empowering and, so I, people can't believe because on the track, I think I'm more of an extrovert, uh, as far as being in your face, not with being mouthy, but just, uh, intense. I, I would say that when I've asked people the good and the bad that you'll, you're, you're intense, which is a good thing, or you're too intense, which is a bad thing, you know, so it can go either way. But in my real world, I'm, I'm fairly quiet and even even keeled. So you've got a Clark Kent Superman thing. Happening. Totally. I think I'm similar to you. People might not believe that, but from someone who hosts a podcast, but yeah, uh, I'm fairly 
introverted and shy at first when I meet people and Mm -hmm. but Derby definitely like I know I have a big personality that wants to come out and Derby brought that out in me and when I was on the track I could be mouthy on the track like not in a bad way or in a gentle ribbing sort of way but I always like to I've experienced that uh once (laughs) or twice from you yeah that's true we have played against each other a number of times (laughs) so uh yeah so I get I get that way on the track and I probably get that way a little bit on the Spartan course because that's I like having that brought out in me so yeah it's nice to have something that that allows you to really kind of explore your personality and different sides of your personality yeah so let's go back in time and talk a little bit about the entirety of your roller derby career can you take us back to your worst hardest or most difficult moment in your competitive journey once things started going live with with uh, having more exposure to the video and the footage review and the internet I just hit a wall one season as a jammer because uh, the competitors were able to pretty much figure out my strategy as a jammer. And I'll never forget that season. I think it was in like 2013 uh, when I just was not successful at all. I had to change the way that I wanted to play and needed to play. I'd be unpredictable. And to that, to that point I had skated a certain way and, teams had figured out how to stop me and that was really defeating it was a really hard season yeah you were no longer invisible or you know you're no longer secret in what you were doing yeah yeah so what did you think you learned the most from that time you have to change you know when you have when you have skate or skated or when you perform in a certain way and it's a habitual uh movement or your body is mentally just muscle memory autopilot when you get into those high stress situations if you don't practice different ways of doing things your body's just going to do what you do in practice which why that you know practice is so important but um i had to mentally change the way that my body moved and the patterns of physical movement to be able to not be as predictable and so that was so hard to stop that in a, in a competition because, you know, your nerve, my nerves would kick in and then my body would just want to do what it always did. And I, you know, they could shut me down. And so it was, it was just a a rough mental and physical season. And to overcome that, I was able to overcome that by changing a few things uh, with coaching. And, um, that was, that was the success in it all. You know, I had to fail to then get better and, uh, it was definitely an achievement I was I was proud of, you know, by the end of that next season. So, yeah, it was tough to go through, but it forced you to elevate your game. Yeah. And it proved to me that I could use mental because you can only play contact sport so many days a week, practice, uh, you know, physically stepping through movements so many times a week, you know, so many times a day, so many hours. So that's when I really started working on the mental, um, game and being able to visualize. And it really made, made all the difference in, in, uh, my confidence as well. So on the other side, tell us about your most successful or favorite or best moment in your competitive journey. Probably one of my most favorite moments, uh, was I think in 2012, we played up in, um, in Oregon and, uh, we played against Rocky mountain, which is, uh, funny enough that you had mentioned earlier that you, that was your first interview. Uh, but just a great, uh, team, 
that season, uh, they had deranged, they had psychobabble, uh, Frida Beater was still on that team at the time. And, uh, they were, uh, a, a top, you know, ranked team. We got a chance to play them. We were definitely lower ranked. We knew going in, um, we weren't, we weren't going to win, you know, as much as you never want to go into a game knowing that we knew we weren't going to win. So it was all about the experience and it was all about execution and, and attempting to, to execute plays that we had been practicing. And, um, the, the, my, one of my most favorite moments was jamming against Frida Beater. And, uh, I think I no she got lead lead jam. I was right behind her though. I got out right after her, which was a, a feat in itself. So I didn't actually get stuck in the pack and she didn't lap me multiple times. I think it was one of the only jams that I actually got out. And we ended up waltzing for over half a track. And then of course I took off, like I'm going to get to the back of the track and you know, the pack and uh, score. And she called the jam off, but it was that mix of fierce competition uh, we knew we weren't going to win, but we were just so uh, just focused on execution. And it was just that moment that, I mean, just good hearted opponents. And it's just, uh, you know, a fun nature of um, competition and not taking yourself too seriously and just enjoying that game. And I want to say they beat us by like 300 points or something <laughs> ridiculous. But, you know, within that game of just such tragic defeat there was these moments of joy and fun and the, the memories that I have also too from photographers uh they there's been photo- photography involved in this sport and I, it's like my last nine years of my life I can just pull up uh through these images and there's actually an image of us waltzing and mm-hmm. it just I love it I I just it embodies what the sport started from and um I don't know it just it, it's just a great memory when I've asked this question to a number of people I think you're the first person who cited a massive defeat as your favorite moment I think that's so <laughs> interesting and that, that we lost by 300 but like everything about this game embodies what I love about the sport it really it really is it really is it was going in knowing what we we were up against we worked so well together as a team. And then there were these random moments of just fun. And it was, it just, it was so, so great. It it was wonderful. So now that you're in your forties and you're, you're theoretically, you're, you're still playing next year, right? Yeah. What types of issues or perhaps benefits do you find that you encounter as an older athlete as you train and compete at a high level? Well, I would say that there's one thing I can't control, which is my age, you know, and, and time that it takes to recover. Um, and I can't control the people around me are younger. I mean, it's, it's a young sport and listening to my body. So if, if I, Physically and fatigued, I have to know how to reset my recovery. Um, you know, the active recovery workouts, I'm really into that. Uh, you know, sprinting, recover, sprint, um, you know, as far as training goes for, for that, because that's the nature of, of being a jammer, um, is being able to explode and then sit, sit and recover. You're not actively recovering, you know, by skating on the outside of the track. You literally are 
blasting for 30 seconds, one minute or two minutes, and then sitting for six minutes, maybe, you know, and so there, there definitely is a, um, uh, you know, I think breathing is very important to be able to recover and the visualization of your body having to be prepared for the next time you take the track. So I'm really into visualizing, um, you know, blood and oxygen moving around my body while I'm waiting to, you know, go out on, on the next jam. And, um, so I may jam, come sit. I don't have to think about anything for 30 seconds. I, I give myself a little bit of time. And then I start to go into that mental and physical uh, recovery to prepare for the next for the next jam. And um, it's with focus and purpose. And I and I think that that's helped me over the years uh, with also not getting caught up in the the dynamics of the chaos that can happen during a game. Um, right. What everybody else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. What everybody else is doing. And, and so, you know, the, your team also is dependent on that and everybody being on the same page uh, mentally. And, and I think that's a fun challenge too. And that's why I like the team sport because somehow we all have to have this like telepathic ability to uh, be prepared and ready when we, when we take that track and, you know, when it happens and everybody performs as you've been practicing, it's, that's a good feeling. And yeah, the recovery is really important and diet. And, um, I do a lot of plyometric, uh, training, uh, through less mills. Uh, it's a body attack is a class that I, that I actively take during the season. Um, off season is more just low impact cardio, like right now, just low impact cardio and, and like a circuit type uh, workout. And I think core for any sport, but derby is really important. I think that if your core strength and the muscles around your joints, your knees and flexibility in the ankle, that's probably my biggest, um, focus and information that I pass on to new, especially derby athletes is, is focusing on those areas, core, knee and ankle. Yeah. And especially with all the plyometric work that you need to do for your position, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that your joints are taken care of Mm -hmm. your knee joints and your ankle joints, especially, uh, um, hip joints as you get older also. So (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of foam rolling happening uh, the last few years, really got to handle the recovery, um, in those areas. If you're going to do the explosive work that you need to do to stay competitive for sure. So It's possible we may have some listeners today who might be intrigued by all this roller derby talk. Uh, What advice would you give someone who may want to try roller derby but currently finds it intimidating, which is possible? Yeah, I would say go watch. Uh, Know what you're getting into as far as the the physical bit of of derby. Uh, I personally had no clue what I was getting into. And uh, luckily, I was a contact sport acceptable person uh, because... If we have, I have seen uh, people, oh, I want, you know, I want to join, join Derby. I want to be a Derby skater. And then they actually go sit and watch and see the amount of impact. And that just immediately may trigger a, no, this is not for me. However, I would say don't let that stop you from uh, being part of the community. Uh, there are a lot of leagues now that have kind of a Derby skills slash exercise um, group, uh, where you're, you may not be doing impact, you know, you just go and you're part of a a group that practices and, and you're learning on, you're learning basic skills, uh, but you may not make the choice to, to advance on to a full contact 
uh, scrimmage or, or the next level. So, um, I think Derby as a whole offers an array of possibilities. You can go into officiating, you can be a volunteer, you can, um, you can coach, you know, uh, we see a lot of even, um, soccer and football coaches that come in and become excellent Derby coaches. So it's a great outlet for, for anybody looking for something to give to and receive back. Um, as an athlete, I, I think it, it actually, for the most part, kind of all your bases are covered. And it's, as you mentioned, it's just such an amazing community. So even if you don't see yourself as a competitive derby athlete, Mm -hmm. you know, there, there are roles to play and there's always hope that's needed. And I, I always say like, if I move to another city and I don't know anybody, I'm going to go find the closest role. Yeah, you know, sure. I Um, I could be lost in the United States of America and I, I could look up the local roller derby on Facebook, let's say. And wholeheartedly, I think that if I had a flat tire, I could find somebody to come save me. Like that's how unique this community is that if I was in Southern California and I knew nobody and I found you on Facebook, you might know somebody who could come help me. I mean, it's just, it's amazing the outreach and the the coverage that this sport has actually international now, not oh, yeah. just in the U S you can go anywhere in the world and have a place to stay. In fact, I think they have a Facebook group for that now. It's pretty oh, yeah. amazing. It's like a couch yeah. surfing yeah. <laughs> roller derby couch surfing Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. But it's truly, it's, it's so true. Like you could, yeah. you could find a place to stay. You can hang out with people. You can drop in on a practice mm-hmm. pretty much anywhere in the world. So before we go, do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your competitive journey that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, I do. And I think that it's something I have to remind myself often because of my competitive nature is to just really not take myself seriously. Mm-hmm. Like it's life will be just fine, you know, and uh, with everything, but, but especially for Derby, it's, um, it is intense. You know, life is intense. And when you just can take a step back and appreciate where you are at right now, you know, appreciate where I'm at right now and, and the journey and the experience as being somebody now in my forties, I wish I would have known that earlier on, not really caring what people, people thought, um, you know, about me, or my choices, or just that outlook of life of just, just, just enjoy where you're at, and just keep searching for things that are going to make you happy, and uh, enjoying the journey to get there, and and just, just to not be so serious. Uh, th- life doesn't need to be so serious. I try to practice that every day, and uh, especially in Derby, um, you know, it's, after this many years, I have to set small goals and I have to be okay with failing and I have to appreciate success and and know that that's not always um, going to be there. I'm not always going to be successful and just continuing to learn and grow and uh, be appreciative for the people around me that are getting me to where I want to be because it is definitely a uh, 
a team effort, not only in Derby, but in life. And always stay happy with what, what you're doing. I, you know, I've lived in that roller derby is the most serious thing. Everything we're doing Mm -hmm. is the most serious thing in the world. And it's like, you have to remind yourself that that we're not performing brain surgery here and we're doing this presumably to have a good time. Yeah. I mean, I, at this competitive level, you know, all of the exercise and the diet and the focus, and it it is so important, but I'll tell you, I, I'm okay with having a shot of vodka and a scoop of ice cream after every game. That's just okay with me. And it's okay to have fun too. And I, I, um, in life in general, I think that we need to just take that time to, to enjoy the experience. For sure. And girl, you earn that ice cream and vodka. (laughs) (laughs) I have a milkshake after every single race I do. Like I, just go straight to in and out. Oh, I love so, it. Yeah. 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 It's Nobody's going to tell me I can't have my milkshake. I mean, right. come on. Like, it's, I'm going to have it. Seriously. It's earned. Yeah. All right. Well, Haley Daly, Forecloser, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. I've, I've been wanting to feature a roller derby athlete for a long time. You and I have crossed paths many times on yes. our roller derby journeys, both uh, playing against each other and sometimes on the same team. Yeah. And uh, your name kept popping into my mind. So I'm glad we got the opportunity to do this. I feel like we could talk for another hour or more about this. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. And I am so excited to have had a chance to be on here. I am very proud to be over 40 and competing and not feeling like I guess I should feel at being 40 plus years old. And Um, I think this is amazing. I think that the more people that acknowledge that athletes exist past being 20 or 25 or 30 is is really good. It's it's really good for the community to, to see that. So thank you for doing this. All right, seasoned athletes, before we go, here are my top three takeaways from Haley Daly, aka The Forecloser. Number one, living an active life is a great example for your kids. As Haley's kids have gotten older, she has learned how important it is for her to lead by example. Every day, she demonstrates to them, through roller derby, the importance of teamwork, dedication, and honoring her commitments. Number two, on a related topic, finding a sport can be a great opportunity for moms to have something that is truly their own. Moms have a ton of responsibilities and commitments and often forget to put themselves first from time to time. Haley found a way to have her own time and enjoy adult camaraderie through roller derby and her derby teammates. And number three, as the sport of roller derby evolved over the years, Haley has had to find a way to change and adapt with it. She had a hard time when video footage of her first became available to other teams, and they started learning her style and how to effectively play defense against her. So she had to figure out how to not be predictable. I think this can also be applied to our lives. When we're rigid and not prepared for inevitable change, that change can be jarring. We can't always prepare for everything that happens in our lives. It's how we face those moments for which we are unprepared that can make the difference between scoring all the points or being shut down. Thank you so much to the always awesome Haley Daly, a.k.a. The Forecloser. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. All right, friends, I have a really big favor to ask. I need your help to get the word out about Seasoned Athlete. How can you do that? It's really easy. Just share. Share it with your friends, your family, your network, or anyone you think might benefit from the stories told by the incredible athletes featured on this show. Send out an email, share on social media, or sing our praises from the mountaintops. The more you talk about Seasoned Athlete, the more people we can reach, inspire, and motivate through this show. 
Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your help. And while you're at it, follow us on social, Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Or if it's you, tell us all about yourself. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.